This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hi, this is Tucker Smallwood from Star Trek Enterprise. You're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise podcast. Joining me today, as always, is Brandy Jackala. How are you, Brandy? Well, I'm fine, Patrick. Do people know who you are? Because you didn't introduce yourself, darling. I don't know. I, I think people know by now. <laughs> I think they know who I am by And now I just too. thought of that, too. And I was going to say, and I'm Patrick right after this. Yeah, you're Patrick. I did it for you. I did it okay. for you to Pat. It's all good. Yes, yes. So, and I am I am your host with obviously with my co-host that I just said to Pat. So, <laughs> you know, that's how we like if it. If you've been listening for a while, you get the joke. If you haven't, sorry. Sorry. Go back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, we have a, a few comments on Babel. If you'd like to read them for us, I would love to. Uh, we these are comments mostly from our last episode, but there is one from an older episode as well. So, uh, Patrick Carlin. Hi, Patrick. Uh, He says, love hearing how remastered TOS came about and that he specifically mentioned the Doomsday Machine. That's always been a favorite of mine. First first VHS I bought for myself. And I remember when I heard about the remastering, I immediately thought, I can't wait to see what they do with the Doomsday Machine. Of course, now I can't find any corroboration, but a few years ago, I heard that Dave Rossi had a voice cameo in Voyager's Future's End Part 1, in the scene where Henry Starling gets the phone call from Rain Robinson as the voice of his assistant, Dave, that we hear over in Intercom. What am I doing, Dave? You're in a meeting, sir. And? And I know I'm not supposed to interrupt, but there's a woman on line three from Griffith Observatory, a Rain Robinson. She says it's urgent. That's adorable. If I had known that, I would have asked him about it. Yeah, he he goes on in the comment thread. Um, it came up late, so it wasn't in the the notes. But he does go on to actually confirm that that did happen exactly that way. So fantastic! I love it. I love it. I love it. And then we have a lovely comment from Justin Ozer as well. Hi, Justin. Uh, saying, great interview. I enjoyed hearing all the details about TOS Remastered and all of his other Trek work. Now that we know Dave Rossi loves the alternative factor, I want to hear Brandon, Shay, and Dave do a commentary of that episode. I don't so think do they'd I. lack for conversation if they did that. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then we also have a comment that came up on one of our older episodes, which is Warp 5 number 125. Snow, snow Vulcans are so fun. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, uh, that was season one, Essential Enterprise. And this is from Joseph Compton the Fourth. Or is it uh, the sequel? Is it, are you the fourth uh, movie in a, tr in a running series? No, I'm just kidding, Joseph. He says this, Been catching up on Warp 5 and listening to this episode made me realize that every episode from all four seasons that has Shran in it is necessary to watch. Starting in the Andorian incident, Shran sees an archer, someone who doesn't like the Vulcans, and Archer seems to take Shran's side in the events. This has the result of Shran seeming to trust Archer a little. As the seasons progress and Archer and Shran work together, Shran sees Archer's attitude towards the Vulcan changing, and by the end of the series, Shran's attitude is less combative towards the Vulcans, primarily because of Archer. This is a major character development for a side character, but it is also a lens for the entire Andorian people. Well said. Well said, and I agree, because I think... The interaction between Archer and Shran made them both better people. Yeah, they definitely, they were both, any episode they were both in is obviously important because of the way each one of those moved along both characters. It wasn't just one one way or the other. They both moved forward or changed in some way because of those episodes. Yeah, there is definitely not stagnation there, which is why I treasure each and every Shran episode. Um even I I treasure his part in These Are the Voyages, even though I don't treasure that episode itself. But yes. I'm oh, always don't, don't give away any secrets on that. Oh, sorry. We're going to talk about that later. Okay, sorry. <laughs> we don't talk much anyway. Someone else does. But, but it'll be brought them. up. Okay. <laughs> Just be down here. Thanks. Very Eeyore-ish. Oh, there I go back <laughs> to Disney. Oh, hey, I'm good at Eeyore. Actually, I, I'm not that much of a downer, usually. So we also have some iTunes reviews, don't we, Patrick? Yes, we do. We have three iTunes reviews since we last did this. Unfortunately, we did get a second one star, but we? we got two five stars. So Whoops. that averages out, you know, now with the four we've gotten to two and a half. So <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so Dave Kill gives us our one star. It's Warp 5 was at the top of my list, but this new Morning Zoo crew is Warp 1 at best. I don't know what to say. I'm I'm sorry you feel that way. This is this is the show. This is how we're going to continue to do it. This is the three hosts. We'll be here for at least a little while longer, and um, we hope you give it another listen. And maybe you hear something else that you'd like. If not, uh, I'm sorry. Then we also got from Inside Outcast. Warp Five presents various points of view regarding Star Trek Enterprise. You get matter of fact opinions. You get well reasoned criticism. You get insightful comparisons, plus special guest interviews. All this in one show. Also, Porthos. So, yes, Porthos. Yay, and, and, Porthos! And they like us, so cool. <laughs> and then our last review was by Melvin Goober, and it's also a five-star review, and it's long, so bear with me. I've never considered myself a Trekkie, but I do have fond memories of the show from back when I was a child. Unfortunately, I'm not as free in time nowadays so rewatching the series and taking longer than is taking longer than I thought. It would. Oh wow. It's taking longer than I thought it would. As such, my attempts to reimmerse myself in the universe have been slow goings until I heard about Warp 5. This provides me with an avenue to catch up on Star Trek knowledge and nostalgia in a very entertaining and enlightening manner. 
The depth of, of Trek knowledge as well as the breadth of general knowledge allow for scintill scintillating mm-hmm. listening, both in terms of humor and inspiration. All of the hosts are a delight to listen to, but Brandy is definitely my favorite. She has an incredible way of being funny, knowledgeable, and, and relatable all at once while doing a great job of sharing the spotlight. So kudos, uh, Brandy. Um, Melvin Goober, whoever and wherever you are, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that. I had a really rough week, and when I saw this, you just made me light up like a bright star. Thank you so much. Because sometimes life is hard, and then you have that one little thing happen that just makes it all disappear, and you go, oh, okay, okay, I'm all right. I'm all right. And you did that for me, buddy. You did that for me. Thank you. No, I'm not crying. I'm not crying. Shut up. You're crying. (laughs) (laughs) And it's okay if you are. But so we do have a special guest today and we do have, because in case anyone hasn't noticed, we've been missing Brandon. I don't think I promise you he's coming. (laughs) What he's been doing is he went to go get our special guest. They they're on a shuttle pod. They're on their way back now. So I guess now would be a good time to introduce them. It is Brandon and Larry Nemechek. Excellent. Welcome. Thank you for such a wonderful introduction, Brandy and Patrick. I appreciate it. Um, We're jumping right into the interview here today because my wife is sick upstairs. So you may hear a little bit of kids crying and screaming in the background. As long as there's no broken bones, though, I'm not going to stop recording the podcast tonight. Uh, Because we have a very special guest joining us. And it is Dr. Trek himself, Larry Nemechek. How are you doing, my friend? Thank you so much for joining us. I am doing much better now than I was a week ago, or five days ago. So you can actually understand me, <clears throat> which is a good thing. Excellent. Too much, uh, too much of the Romulan well, ale. <laughs> I, uh, I wish it was Romulan ale, more like some Romulan allergy that broke out. And we had, a, we had like a two-day spike here when it got to 95 and 85, two days in a row, and then it went back down to being 65. But I, some, that always like unleashes something. There's one plant somewhere, and when it, I can always tell it goes because my my allergies. I, I never have any allergies except for this one plant in this one part of California, and it just goes. It never affected me back in Oklahoma. And it's the yeah. uh, the this side of paradise plant. <laughs> it's a retlaw plant or something. Yeah, I wish it, if it was a this side. If it was a Omicron SETI spore plant, Omicron SETI three. Come on, give me a cred there. Um, but then when you watch it 20 years in a row, you can do that. Uh, if I was that, I'd make something on it, or I, you know, we'd license it, or we'd do shows or something. Come see the pod show. Okay. The real ones. They have the, Cal- the California golden poppies. We could have, the, yeah. Excellent, right on. Well, today, because we're just starting off with our season four retrospective of Enterprise, I wanted to get a little bit more information from behind the scenes on season four and the making of season four. And we had Dave Rose, uh, Rossi last week. I was saying his name wrong. I couldn't believe it until editing. It's Rossi, not Rossi. I am Canadian, <laughs> hey, I know. But <laughs> Are you but, sorry about it? I was sorry. I was sorry. If, if you called him Rosie the whole time, just be glad you were in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're asking Larry all about season four of Enterprise and a little bit of the behind the scenes on the production of the last season of Star Trek before we got into the fallow years, as Larry likes to call it. So we're going to hand the mic over to Brandy, who's going to ask her first question before we jump into season four. Brandy, take it away. Well, thank you. So, Larry, what was your first impression of Enterprise and the direction that the producers wanted to take this franchise? 
Oh, well, I... So Enterprise, to me, was kind of like the best of times, the worst of times. Because it was like, after all the years I'd been in L.A., after doing the Next Gen book, but coming into it late and meeting lots of people, but not being there at the roots of it, and then DS9 being a couple years down, the, the actor casts came in... The actor casts, as, a cross, as opposed to crew casts. The actors and the cast, uh, the... the um, the uh, what was that show Voyager Voyager <laughs> and Enterprise casts I kind of knew from day one but since the, so much of the crew people you know were around the writers kind of came and went a little bit but so much of the crew people just stayed and stayed and stayed and stayed everything the familiarity and the trust even with me doing the magazine and the fact files and then when Star Trek.com started and was all lot based Enterprise was kind of the climax of that as far as people being familiar with me and even even like the guards that that I knew, but it was like, I oh, can't let you on, Larry, or whatever, without being something formal. Everything was at the most relaxed stage. And part of that was also because digital cameras had come in first, like everybody had their little Canon Elfs before they were on phones. And it was like, well, they weren't on phones until after Enterprise was gone. It was like social media. But even having little digital Canon Elfs and everything, they quit using Polaroids for, you know, the makeup and costume approval pictures. And when when digital cameras found a niche backstage, then, oh, my God, everybody had their digital cameras. And the crew started doing backstage pictures. And, and it just was a different vibe, which is why, to me, it's such a crime that Enterprise only went four years. Because if it had gone seven years, it would have been the most, whether people cared or not, it would have been the most well-documented behind-the-scenes show of all of them. Because you weren't depending on Robbie Robertson or somebody's, you know, 35 millimeter or, uh, you know, official studio pictures or people's lousy Polaroids. Because whoever had the official Polaroid camera would take a few others. Or people would, like, run off stage and not get yelled at and take some, you know, they would always take their, actors would always find some way to get themselves in there, you know, the guest actors or the extras. And that was, that's been, like, most of the most of the behind-the-scenes pictures up until then in Enterprise is the one where it busted out. So that, But otherwise, the beginning of Enterprise and me working on like three or four overlapping projects and being on the lot three times a week, and um, that's why I was really, I don't want to say sad, I was selfishly sad on top of everything else when it didn't go. But I was really looking forward to that. The other end of that, though, was the tragedy of the Ron Moore saga where, like... TNG ending and going into DS9 and Voyager, all the writers found a home if they wanted one on one of the other shows. And it was like the other end of the telescope this time. It was like one show ending up going into one. And as DS9 ended, <clears throat> uh, it was a couple of years before Voyager went away, but Ron kind of had the idea he would go work with Brandon like they'd worked on the on Next Gen together when they were babies. And then they worked at the two movie scripts together. And when it kind of became clear... However it came down, I wasn't in the room, but basically when Brandon and Rick were going to create inter what became Enterprise, um, and Ron thought he was going to be in the middle of that, and then when it became apparent he wasn't, like, do a couple of the last years of Voyager and then we'll see you later, but you're not in the secret, you know, lunch meetings to develop the new show, he very gracefully and gentlemanly just, you know, there was no point in hanging around Voyager, he saw the writing on the wall and he went off and carved his own niche. Started, went to Roswell, and then you know Carnival, I think, and then, and then Battlestar after that. 
maybe another one in there somewhere. And then, you know, and then onward from there. And that was sad. And the other weird thing was about the beginning of Voyage uh, Enterprise, which, you know me, I'm the weird fan. I've always been the weird fan. I try to think about all of fandom and all the fans' niches, but I, since I first came to L.A. and saw with my own eyes what was going on and what the real vibe was like and heard all the all the boys on Next Gen talk about how hard it was to write Star Trek and how many how many perfectly good Emmy winning writers got chewed up and spit out by the process with Gene's you know Gene's rules and the Gene sandbox thing and how they were basically you know good humans and good federation people and conflict from without and all of that stuff and you had to kind of know the canon and if you didn't we would fix it so don't scream when we fix your canon problems and all that stuff. And my whole thing was I said, well, and me being the background fan who, you know, no, apparently no one else cared. Everybody else were character people. Now we call them shippers. But back then it was like, are you a character guy or are you a background guy? And, you know, most women were character people. But anyway, um, I'd always wanted a historical show. I'd always wanted to go back to my thing was I always wanted to see a founding of the Federation Romulan War show. But I knew they would never do it because they were spending the money on 24th century. And they're not going to go suddenly redo the designs, you know, and get out of, I mean, the ship pieces that they have in warehouses they can pull from to make stuff cheaper. It's like, that's so amortized. They're never going to pull up and do a whole series where they throw all that out the window, the props, the costumes, the set pieces. So when I heard the rumor that they were going to do a, a you know a prequel show, but they were going to do an Enterprise, a pre-Federation show that led into the founding of the Federation. I you know I wet my pants. I was like, oh my god, this is this is so brave. This is so you know trying. I know part of it was paranoia about finding something new because they always are terrified. They've got to do exactly the same thing again, only totally different. That's the challenge of every Star Trek series and movie. And and I was like, oh my God, they got, they're going to got the balls, to either the desperation or the balls to do this. And they even like tested the idea with people somewhere. And then there was some, I, I saw they had like fake things. One of them was like a black ops. What should the next Star Trek show be? I remember seeing this questionnaire. They went to some movie theater and did it at a sci-fi show, like a black ops Star Trek, a Star Trek rescue, like rescue 911 for Starfleet, um, <laughs> founding of the Federation show. Now you laugh. <laughs> that was all before JJ and then Discovery. They totally so you could have had Shatner on for that too. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, he would he would have claimed his you know half percentage and say, "Shut up, Leonard, you'll get your half." But um, equal nations clause wins again. But uh, I could not believe it. And then when that all leaked, and then once again, I saw fandom go, "Oh no, not a prequel show. Star Trek's about going." I was like, I, it was like 1987 again. I was like, "Shut up." Are you kidding me? Shut up! And of course, that was that was the big ding against it. Now there were a lot of problems with Enterprise, but to me, the format was it was the people executing the format. But then, when I thought it was Rick, Brannon, and Ron, Rick and Brannon, whose hearts, God bless them, they were never original series guys, no matter how much they tried to retcon themselves. And Brannon did give it a go, but uh, I, I was like, oh my God. This will be horrible. And then when Ron was in it, I went, okay, fine. Ron will fulfill that extra P, that extra missing niche. And then a month later, Ron was gone. I'm like, oh, my God, this thing's in trouble. And my whole reaction to the pilot was, okay, that wasn't near as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Kronos in four days pissed me off. But other than that, 
this wasn't quite as bad as I thought it was going to be. So that that was my mishmash of thoughts and feelings and memories and emotions. Well, to slight tangent, if Cronus in four days upset you, then how did the transwarp beaming in Inner Darkness feel? Moving on. I'm sorry. In what? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, it's oh, Every J.J. movie, we're all sitting there going like, okay, what am I going to say about this? What am I going to say about this? What am I going to say about this? What were your primary duties on Enterprise? Did they change throughout the seasons? Like, what did you do on set? Were you simply an archivist, or what were you doing? No, I wasn't. No, no, no. I never had a... The closest I came to having a, a production payroll job was the times when Ira and Jerry <clears throat> would have me do like a, a memo, like the like when Andre would do a science memo or when, um, you know, when Joan Pierce, the successor to Kellum DeForest would do a, you know, a memo, um, that kind of thing. And that, that was only four or five times. Now there was some unofficial times, like when I saved him a lot of grief on birthright on DS nine. And I pointed out that Klingons don't take prisoners. And that was not some anal fan fact. They could just blow off that that was, you know, and then when I found out that Ron didn't know what they were doing, anyway, that's that's a whole fun side story. But aside from little things like that, I didn't. I never had an official. Now I had an official affiliate. I we edited the official magazine, and then when StarTrek.com got going, that that was a you know there. And then I was in the archives and licensing twice a week because the fact files need for reference was so deep that there was nobody. They didn't have enough staff in licensing to fulfill it, so. Fact Files paid for me twice a week um, to go up and pull things from archives and get notes and and chase down because they got promised so much more photo coverage than there was. <laughs> the best photography reference was with the set dressers and the visual effects guys and the prop. It, it wasn't sitting in a production office somewhere. So and the blueprints were all in the art department and that kind of thing. So part of what I did was increasingly like chase that down. We need this wacko, you know. All the set pictures from this set you saw for five minutes on this one episode of Voyager on some culture we could care less about after this episode. But they, they are scraping the barrel for stuff because they had 700 issues to do. So I would go over to Jim Meese and I'd get like eight or ten of those in a row and we'd sit down and his assistant would sit down with me and we'd pull photos out. So that was, yeah, I never had a, a lot of the people that worked on worked on the shows never got a credit. So I mean, never got a screen credit. That was before. Now you watch like Discovery and any other show, they have you know the caterer's second assistant's left toenails veterinarian's dog's walker is in there. <laughs> Janet, my wife Janet, never. The only time she ever got a credit was on First Contact because it was a movie and she got a credit as assistant script coordinator. But she was there five years, never got she if she'd been there the finale, she might they gave you like Christmas gift, you know, at the on the finales. Everybody got a lot the the extras got lines and the, all the office people got a credit. But that was that. More than you wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> so since we, we are focusing kind of on We gotta get to four, the season, yeah. What did you think of the way they did season four with the, the three story arcs? Well, it was it was, you know, brilliant. I mean, it took somebody like Manny coming in who was uh accredited you know writer but who was uh, an original series fan at heart just like many of the here's the thing Manny is so revered for what he did with the fourth season the truth is and I've said this for years there were lots of people who were on staff who could have I don't want to say exactly what Manny did because everybody has their own talents and you know abilities but it was not for lack of trying there had been years and years and years of people back on back to TNG 
But as it went along, and especially with Enterprise, since that was the whole point of the show, what all the audience thought it was going to be, oh, look, we're going to lead into Kirk's time. And when it kind of like was this, okay, sometime we're going to lead into Kirk's time, <laughs> you know, that feel, that vibe, that, that direction never felt like it was there. And it wasn't for lack of trying. And I, and, and I said a couple of times that, again, bless their hearts, Rick and Rick and Brannon, Rick was doing things like keeping boy bands out of the mess hall. <laughs> you know, we UPN, know. Stupid we, just, UPN, we just learned right? that. That's come to light. And I think Rick's gotten a lot of, you know, it's very easy to say this thing that he took over, really, the first couple of years Gene's health was so down. He really, and when Maury Hurley and Bob Justman and all those early people kind of cleared the field and he kind of took power, basically. It was a really good thing, even though he banged heads with Michael and as the boys got older, like with Rick and Iron, he banged heads about, sometimes he, they'd say he'd interpret Gene too strictly and wouldn't let the franchise breathe and grow a little bit. But it was better that than the other thing with everything kind of, you know, getting wobbly really fast and, and, and nobody sitting there saying no. And it gradually changed. Now, maybe he should have eased up a little bit. Maybe he should have stepped back and and hired people to do that too and then him be a check but the bottom line was um it it there were lots of people on staff who were begging who were chomping at the bit to do things and it was even in especially in enterprise the people that wound up being there i mean chris black and people that didn't say the whole time and david goodman and um and mike sussman who was there who finally got to do some of the things he wanted to do mm -hmm. in fourth season but like uh he wanted to have Orion's at the beginning of this is I don't know if he's told you all this or you've read this somewhere or whatever but one of the ones that sticks out in my mind is the early and I'm trying to remember the name of it, the early third season show they're in the expanse and uh, <clears throat> it's the airlock show oh yes um, well, that's, a, that's a that's a whole side story episode. too sometime yeah I think I've told anomaly? somebody that story before anomaly yeah um, but it's the one where um, it's the one where the Raiders are taking stuff and, and and Archer has his revenge a little bit and they're the um, they're the Osarians mm -hmm. okay I so right, yeah. as that story developed Mike wanted to make them Orions and have them be Orion pirates Orions you know are 200 years earlier than the Orion syndicate on PS9 but 100 years before Kirk have us see some early day Orion pirates mm -hmm. you know they went right to their natural thing and I remember Mike saying he kept floating the idea. Float. He, he was always bugging Brandon with stuff. And Brandon was like, eh, 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 because maybe he thought Rick would shoot it down. And he, I remember him telling me this. He said, come on, Brandon, look, Orion's, it would be great. And I remember, he, I remember him saying, Brandon saying, uh, uh, solid green skin, uh, you know. And they barely tried the Andorians. So they didn't want to do, you know, like solid green Orion's. Anyway. So instead of the Orions, they became the Osarians, mm -hmm. which Mike always sounded like, said like, said they sounded like Irish dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> but that's an example. Now, by the end of the season, when things were getting really dicey, the se second season, or end of second season, but before the Zindi year, the, um, is, it, uh, is it Bounty? The one with the first time you have Tellarites. Bounty. Yeah, Bounty. Bounty. Oh, right. The penultimate before the Expanse. So that, uh, that character was just going to be a random new alien, forehead alien. And before this was, so this is chronologically before he tried the Orions in the Expanse. But Mike once again tried to make that a Tellarite. Mm -hmm. 
And this time, and of course he had a brother, so they would both be Telfrites. Well, it was like an 11th hour thing, and he got it approved. Brandon and Rick said, okay. Because I think by then they were like desperate for any, not desperate, but they were trying to do anything to get some interest. And the ratings were not doing well, and they were really, they were on the bubble about to be canceled at the end of the second year. And um, because it had all gone over to Les Moonves, and Les Moonves didn't care that you were the golden calf that launched the network or whatever. whatever. Now you just got to get by on your numbers like everybody else in America on TV does. <laughs> Nothing special about you guys. Make money or get, you're out of here. And he got Tellerites put in, but it was after they'd been cast, after all the sets had been done. Mike Westmore had, had done a Tellerite once before for a video game. So he had the full-blown snout and everything. Well, Rick knocked down the nose to where it wasn't as snouty you know, in the approvals. He he put a lot of texture in the makeup, which was cool, but the Tellarite kind of got knocked down a little bit, but he was going to have it be a cloven hoofed. He had cloven hooves going. I've got pictures somewhere of him sculpting the clay. Again, this was Enterprise getting loose and loose and loose, and I was getting more chance to do that kind of thing. And he had a dew claw. Well, no, I take it back. So at the last minute, because they'd already got this guy in a ship with like tiny buttons, they thought the cloven hooves looked stupid. So they went ahead and made him, made him be digitals. So there was like, ah, tell the right moment. So, but they were in there, and everybody's like, oh. Then the actors they cast are all just skinny, standard-looking guys. So the fact that they're teller, and they don't have them, they're not arguing. Right, arguing, right, right. debate, Tellerite-wise, wasn't part of the script. So it was really just a throw-in at the last-minute thing. It was, it was like a wasted thing, like the kind of thing you hate to see when they're doing. And it's just, it was just all the, the worst case of that. And I know we got to get to season four here sometime, but... <laughs> Mike, when they lost the cloven hooves, Mike made a dew claw and put it, you can barely see it, but it's on the backs of their hands. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like, let's do something that's kind of a throwback to, you know, a, the pig-like Tellarite. So that kind of stuff would happen. So it, season three ends, and they're going to get canceled. The Zindi year is a big step forward and, you know, grinds things up, and it, you don't have thin shows like you got in second season. Oh, my God, the Marauders. I, or Marauders. I just was like... And it's Klingon's going to scare this colony, and is anything else going on? Nope. Seven Samurai. And that episode's Seven Samurai. And seven, of course it is, and not much else. <laughs> <laughs> Let's watch them put weapons in the village, and then the Klingons come back, and then they scare them off. No bloody B, no bloody C story in that. Okay. They used to make fun of Michael Piller and his B stories and his C stories, but you know what? At least rounded out the shows. Anyway, so... The whole fourth season was a gift. Mm -hmm. the, the Paramount TV studio jumped in with the show and said, we will, you know, yes, cut the budgets. We will go all digital. And Sony paid for the cameras as a demo. That's why there's a Sony credit in fourth season. They had a little PR thing at the beginning of the year. So there was no more videotape, no more, you know, the video village on stage was now a tiny, it was so weird, 2004. And... And there weren't like VHS tapes for dailies. People just got emailed, you know, video files. It was a whole new, whole new, brave new world the last year. Well, you could definitely tell. I mean, when we were covering the fourth season episode, like it, the, the season four looks so damn good, you know. Well, and they had this weird mystery the first year of why the damn shows are so dark. Mm -hmm. And there was this like Thomas Nass circular pointing firing squad. Every, nobody could figure out why the shows they would see when they filmed them on stage and they saw the dailies, why when they're broadcast they look so horrible. 
and UPN blamed the distribu distribution system, and the distribution system blamed the lab, and the lab blamed the stage, and stage, you know, the crew, and the crew blamed UPN. I mean, everybody blamed everybody else, and, and, and Bob Blackman was even like making the uniforms lighter blue than they originally had them. I mean, it was just, they were talking about repainting the sets lighter because no one could figure out why. And then, yeah, the, the digital helped some of that. By then, they didn't, that wasn't the point anymore. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but anyway, so they cut the budget and then the studio put in more money because they wanted a, the old 100 shows. Mm -hmm. You know, the original series only had 79, 80, 80 hours, but they still sold. And um, they just wanted to have 100 episodes. So the fourth season was a total gift, yeah. which is why to me it was so heartbreaking because they're right. All the fans said, the fourth season was the best one. Why did it not get renewed? And after those first couple of trilogies, when the, you know, when the Augment trilogy went down and it didn't go through the roof, it was like, eh. Uh -huh. And, and that's, that's on your list of things to get to, so I'll shut up and okay. quit <laughs> filling in so much. Well, speaking of season four and those story arcs, which one is your favorite three-episode arc? Or two, because there's some good or, two. Or two. <laughs> well, now that one's, I mean, they were all well. I mean, have you all heard about Manny and the card file? So, so Manny gets the reins at the beginning. They stick him with the space Nazis, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. Rick originally, see, now here's the thing. So Manny had been there since third season. Similitude, awesome show, has nothing to do with the original series. <laughs> Manny, and Manny... Here's my original thing. So I'd known Chris Black and Mike Sussman and Juan Fernandez was the, was the script coordinator. And, and I'd gotten to know those guys over the time. Had just gotten to know uh, David Goodman because um, he wrote the parody on you know, Futurama. So he was the comedy guy that Brandon brought in. And, and they were all really – and a couple of people that were even there just one year and left. But Manny was this mysterious guy that came in, and I would go into the Hart Building to say hi – <clears throat> and uh, he was always, I'd say, I'd like to, uh, and, and his assistant was Donna Rooney, and I'd say, I'd like to just say hi to Manny sometime. And she's like, he's always in his office, he's always working. He, and after a while, I realized it wasn't me. He was just, I thought he's either totally antisocial in a complete, like, Asperger's case, and I mean, I'm just, I'm not, you know, or, or something's going on, or he's paranoid that he's not going to last, or something. And then when his shows start to air, and there are these awesome scripts, I'm like, wow. And so finally, by the end of the year, he just he just pulled a Gene Coon. He literally went in his office and just writing machined these scripts out. And they're some of the best stuff anybody's done. And so by the end of the year, when UPN, Les Moonves, takes over UPN and goes, okay, we'll let the studio buy a fourth season. You guys step back and don't show run the show, basically. Find another showrunner. Well, the best, the, the guy with the hottest hand had been Manny, which didn't go down really well with, and I can't blame him. So uh, some of them didn't want to stay around with that. It wasn't anything about, about Manny. They just thought they'd been there longer, and if somebody else was going to run the show, that they deserved it, and they didn't. And that's why you had so many people, so many of the mid-range writers left the show that year. And um, not that they weren't asked back, they just you know, so Manny started the year with like Mike and Phyllis, the you know the junior writers, and Andre Bermanis was had gone from science advisor to staffer, <clears throat> and they started off hiring a couple other uh, uh, Lezebnik and who had worked a little bit on Next Generation, but they didn't last the whole season. So you know, but it was totally they they handed the keys to Manny. It was his to do with. So Manny says, 
Okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna fix the Vulcans. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do something about Klingons and the Flatheads, you know. And I have this list of twenty cool things. And now you've heard the story about his index cards on the board, well, right? We've heard Chris refer to it as his <clears throat> magic bag of hindsight. Is that the same yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't see it at the beginning of the year. I didn't, see, you know, because it was like toward the end of the years when I first started sticking my nose in. Because I, I knew not to talk to anybody. Like right now on Discovery, don't try to talk to anybody early because they're all in their panic mode and they're you know, like they're early hardcore. But I do have a picture and I dug it out. I've got one at the very end. But I've got a, a pic, I found my picture of him. Where is it? Uh, with with six cards on the board. They were like Klingon foreheads. Uh, Sky City episode, <laughs> Starbase One. I mean, uh, Colonel Green. Mm -hmm. there were, and that was just what was left. A an Andorian arc, and that's what um, the ba that's the Babel what Babel arc. turned yeah. into. Yeah, yeah, the Babel arc turned into. But one of them was fix the Vulcans, and that's what the Forge turned out to be. Like explain why the Vulcans have been, you know, like SOBs, because they've been affected by Romulans and. So yeah, he had some, and the augment started off as the Colonel Green arc, but then it transmogrified into, you know, what it became. And when they got a chance to do Brent, when Brent said, I would love to play, you know, I don't want to be lore and data because that wouldn't make sense, but do one of Soong's forebears. How about it? And um, so, yeah, so, so a lot of things were organic, but it was Manny's idea to say, guys, if we did like trill, like the the two parters always go so well, and they use them for sweeps months and ratings. What if we did a trilogy and we spread that? They were totally about amortizing money out. Mm -hmm. So it was cheaper to even hire a big guest star for three shows than for two or one. I mean, you know, like over time, you got more bang. Right. So everything, whether it was sets or human flesh or whatever it was, <clears throat> you know, special effects, you got more bang for your buck with a trilogy. Mm -hmm. And yeah, after they did it, it was kind of like, why haven't we been doing this for fifteen years? But you know. <laughs> So what's your favorite arc? It's one of those things. What's your favorite? I'm I'm just gonna, well. What do you think? It's probably gonna be the Babel arc. It's the Babel arc, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, and and what's funny is <clears throat> I'm hopscotching all of, all over the place. I know. So Borderland was gonna be exciting because they were gonna do the male Orions and they got all into it and it was gonna be cool. And a male, you know, the whole thing of the Orion slave girl again and she's up there running. Uh, she was gonna be the slave girl, but they had the big, you know, biker guys. <clears throat> the wrestler types and they get big show the wrestler and it's a stunt thing you know it's going to be oh it's going to be stunt casting it's going to be awesome and this will get you know, we got Brent Spine and we got big show from wrestling crossover UPN and um, and it was cool and the show they did I think it was Borderland when they were all when they went to this mm -hmm. they went to the uh, auction house and they had all the and um, Vince Dedrick the stunt, stunt coordinator had his dad as one of the stunt guys who his dad was um, Matthews who'd been thrown off the sled the, the ridge by Ruck mm -hmm. so his dad had been a stunt guy in the original series a red shirt anyway he finally got him onto Enterprise um, they had so much going on so much cool and I, I did a on set report from that for the magazine and a lot of a lot of fun stuff going on and I looked over and they did a Tellarite and it was I remember it was Pablo Soriano who was one of the regular extras but again it was just a tall, skinny guy with a Tellarite outfit on. And I was like, oh. And I was like, okay. And in my mind's eye, I, I knew Manny by now. And I knew Mike. And the rest of And I knew there, you know, by now it was like Gar and Judy. And like all these huge, huge original series people. And I'm like, I bet they did a Tellarite. No one thought about it. 
that just they just did the they just did that because it was a moment like Pablo got up you know he was in frame and got to go <laughs> so it was like an extra's favorite thing they actually got a screen to themselves even though they're under makeup and I remember thinking I bet they had no idea about the casting on that and sure enough when we were talking about the Babel arc later on I we were talking it turns out that Mike is a big Tellerite fan and and which is why he got him into Bounty and turns out Manny is a huge Tellerite fan too. All the underground, it's like it's like this generation's McCoy fans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, and Manny said, and I said, so you actually got real Tellerites in this. And before I could prompt him, Manny goes, yes, you know we'd had Tellerites on the show before, but they weren't real Tellerites. <laughs> and after I saw the dailies for Borderland, I went, okay guys, <laughs> I wrote a memo that said from now on we have short, like get all the Ferengi actors, they are now our Tellerites. <laughs> I mean, literally, and he went on and on about it, you know, stuff with the pill if you have to, and we're going to, you know, give them the attitude, and I don't care if they are just extras in the background scene. We want noses up, you know, and I'm just sitting there going, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, you know, like, the show was done by then, but I was like, my, you know, my judgment of humanity is, uh, was, ac was right on. So in this one little niche of the whole <laughs> season, of the whole series, it's like we reached brother. But, but really, it was that way on so much other. I mean, like people watch the show, those, that last series, the, the last season, and they know. They know that they were in there plugging away. Because mm -hmm. it's one, and you know, there's a way to do stuff where it doesn't cost money, it's not overtime. You write a memo up front, or you see something in dailies, and you go, can we just uh, adjust this tomorrow, you know, or something, whether it's, it's a prop or it's a costume piece or it's a makeup. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, they go on and on about fan service and anal fandom and blah, 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 like with Discovery now. But it really, if the right person is in the right job, much less if the right person has the keys, mm -hmm. you can do anything on a day's notice for no money and fix it and make five million fans wet their pants yeah. it's very easy to do when you've got the right people in the right place and the whole fourth season is i mean rick wanted them to start off he was like manny you know it's your show now but i'm thinking maybe five seven episodes with the space nazis at the beginning it's <laughs> like manny's whole and i remember his words saying this it's like they knew they they didn't have a full 26 they only had 22. And they knew that, and he talked Rick out of doing five or seven to just doing a two-parter. Mm -hmm. So he's like, okay, I've only got 22 slots. I've already lost two, you know, getting out of this, you know, stupid space. I've only got 20 slots to play original series fan here. And at the end of the year, he said, yes, for some people who thought we were doing an original series, you know, lead in every single slot. He's like, I only had 20 shows. I knew we were not coming back, like 99% we were not coming back. So it's like, I had this list of stuff to get done. Who knows when there would be Star Trek on TV again with, with us, you know, with the keys to the car, with us with the playground and all the fun toys to do with what we wanted to do. So he's like, I'm sorry if having every show be some kind of a lead into the original series was like too much for you, you know, sweet tooth indulged. He said, but that's the way, I, I remember him being totally on about that he's like we only had 20 shows yes. i had so much to get done you know and he didn't get it all done they didn't do the stratos city mm -hmm. he wouldn't do he wouldn't do a show where they were building stratos city and whatever that meant for the you know the division of right you know before you saw the races you know the, the culture divulged and all that 
that and, and the building of Starbase One. Mm -hmm. He had this thing he wanted to do for Starbase One. And, that, and I've got a picture of him at the end with those two cards on that same board. Okay. So that, that sets it up. Yeah, but it was the, the trilogies, all of that, the basic thrusts, that was all... And then Mike jumped in, and then Gar and Judy jumped in. Yeah, and, yeah. You know. Well, you had mentioned them earlier there. Now, I want to ask about Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens. Like, how did they get involved? Because with only one or two exceptions, novel writers hadn't been involved with any episode writing before. I mean, we had Michael Jan Friedman in an episode from season one of Voyager. And while he hadn't written a book at the time, David R. George, you know, and David Mack, you know, they, they had done a little bit on, uh, on D Space Nine. But... Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens came on for season four. How did that happen? Because right now everybody's making a big deal that Kirsten Byers is on staff for Discovery, right? But we've had this already. Right. Well, we had that, and then, you know, people overlook it, but uh, Melinda Murdoch mm -hmm. was on. Uh, am, I, am I on the right Mel person? Melinda Snodgrass. Melinda Mel Mel Snodgrass yeah. um, did, you know, was on for a while and had the very high highlight of success with. Uh, uh, measure the man and then uh, got burned so bad on the Irish <laughs> on the Irish show that she got burned by Hollywood and left but yeah it had been very rare but there had been book people um, but it wasn't it wasn't they Manny had read Federation and uh, maybe First Contact but he'd read a couple of their novels loved what they did and they were set right in the time that they were doing the show and of course he still had dreams of having a fifth and sixth and seventh season and doing the lead into the Romulan War and the founding of the Federation. But he knew that they had that. He 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 didn't care. So yeah, he he reached out to them, okay. and they were more. And they were they had done some script work. They were book people, but they were really interested in doing more scripting and not just prose work. So it was a it was a win win for both of them. And they were and they replaced um, Phil Lezednik and. Um, the two that they had, the other two that they'd started off with, they wrote one script, Daedalus, mm -hmm. um, Alan Brennert and Ken Lezebnik. Mm -hmm. uh, although I think he used one of them used their uh, pen name on it because they were so upset with the redo. It was it was not it was kind of like um, Ed uh, uh, De, uh, the guy that wrote uh, Chain of Command originally, Frank Bottomarco. Mm -hmm. Emmy winning writer came in, was all enthused about this script. It's incredible. Got Patrick excited about it on Next Gen. But just could not get into the Star Trek, you know, great writer just could not get into the sandbox. And and Alan and Ken were kind of the same way. So they, they did their 13 weeks. They were out. And when their 13 weeks, you know, which is way earlier than when their shows air. So when their 13 week was up and they had a slot open for a team, especially, uh, it was Manny's idea mm -hmm. to reach out to them. Okay. You mentioned about the cancellation a little earlier, but when did the cancellation, the, that Enterprise was being canceled, when did that news come down? And Like, what episode were they filming at the time? Do you know? Oh, I, I remember this totally well. It was, um, and now I was going to look and see which one it was. It was Best of, it was, uh, best of both. <laughs> wow, they it really was, knew ahead of time. Wow. Canceled, <laughs> I know, canceled I know. before it started. This was, it was a time travel that broke the temporal, yeah, prime director. Um... <laughs> No, it was in a mirror darkly. Okay. People were so... I mean, the whole year, after the Augment trilogy went down, people were looking at the ratings. They they went up, but they didn't blow through... You know, they didn't blow out the ceiling. They weren't uh, Quark's <laughs> shuttle coming back to DS9 to break the time barrier. Um, 
Sorry to be crossing streams like that. Uh, they, uh, it's like the image. I, can just I thought crossing the streams was bad. I know, but I do it all the time, and the world is still spinning. I, I last time I checked, unless we're that explains the ultimate universe we're in today. Okay, it's all my fault. Um, no, uh, they knew that the ratings hadn't gone crazy, but they were still. Everybody was hoping, mm-hmm. you know. But part of it was, and part of the thing behind uh, these are the voyages to presage that fans look at this enterprise fans look at this as you know it's the enterprise series but to so many people and there's a great picture that we, we showed at cons for a long time of when enterprise was canceled and the show wrapped uh rick got arranged for everybody who had worked on star trek since day one of encounter at farpoint what what started getting to be called the berman era which is kind of interesting but it's a handy title but like basically the 18-year veterans. And so there's about, and maybe you've seen it too, there's about 20, 20, all different departments. There's one woman who'd been like a little costume lady all 18 years. Her name was Seema something. Um, you know, everybody from Rick and Paul, uh, Peter Larson and Dan Curry and Mike Akuda across the board, all departments, if you'd worked there 18 years, they got them together in a picture on the, bri- on the Enterprise Bridge. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of and a lot of people had worked 15 years and 12 years and 10 years, you know, and had at least two or three of the shows on their belt. There was a lot of split when DS9 and Voyager were going, but, you know, um, so many people, it wasn't just the end of this show. It was like the end of an era. And people were waking up and going, oh, my God, I haven't I got so seduced by working here. That's not how Hollywood is. You're always paranoid when this show gets canceled or even if it's a hit and goes three years you know, keeping yourself fresh. And so many people have been seduced by being in the cocoon of Star Trek that a lot of people just retired when Enterprise went down because they'd been out of circulation for so long. They didn't have a network of people. Some were lucky. So there was so much built-up momentum of hope that it would get renewed anyway. And, and which was, you know, Trek fans were in that. Like, we were all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the Enterprise naysayers. They could care less. But so many of the people who still were with Enterprise... Um, and then I was like, how'd they do? How'd they do? And uh, they were up. You know, everybody, well, how'd the Augment show do? Well, they were up. You know, how'd the Babel try, you know, episode do? Well, they were up. Or maybe they were filming before Babel aired. I should look at the dates. But I do remember people were sky high, just like with Trials and Tribulations. When they rebuilt the bridge, even with, you know, the tweaks, and it wasn't the Enterprise, it was the Defiant. And when they brought the leg, this is what 18 years can do. They went and got the effing leg that they built for first contact and put it in I've got a picture of the stage the bridge is over here and then then here's the pine trees with the leg over here that they could reshoot the the pilot part right (laughs) they just haul it out and touch it up hey that saved money you know so let's spend a little bit more on the bridge over there uh on the on the corridor oh uh, Jeffrey's tube oh my god this is so cool and let's spin more and do a CGI ish you know Gorn Anatholian and all this, you know, cool stuff. Again, making everybody wet their pants. Um, but and and on, it was just like trials and tribulations. Everybody had to come by and take their pictures in the captain's chair. Everybody had to come over and take Brit pictures. I've got mine. Everybody on dot com came over. Everybody, everybody and their dog and their uncle and their aunt and you know, Bob Justman came by and they said like, oh, you got the carpet right this time. And I mean, you know, people. <laughs> there's a million pictures of people in the captain's chair. And uh, in the middle of all that, and I think it was while they were, at, technically they were filming part two, they got the word, pulled the plug. It would be May. 
and everybody, you know, the crew was just like, people had just gotten into this, and it, it had done nothing but got uh, accelerated by all the goodwill and the, you know, the good vibe, and everybody was just giddy with all the original series stuff, and seeing, you know, everybody running, and it was Mirror, but seeing, you know, everybody running around in their Mirror original series outfits, and... Um, and the mirror enterprise stuff, you know, and it was just, it was just like they blew the, it's like they blew the balloon up. It wasn't like they could have canceled it during Daedalus or something, you know. <laughs> they had to cancel it. They had to get the word in the middle of the biggest fun time of the whole, the whole year. But that, that was it. And people were like, yeah. And, and I remember like the crew guys were just like, people were like, oh. And I remember talking to somebody, I can't remember, maybe it was Billy Peets, who was the chief lighting guy for 15 or something of those years. And I remember people, somebody, one day we were walking along, somebody came out of their slump, which I didn't blame them for being in, and kind of looked at me and said, like, well, Larry, how about you? How are you going to, are you going to be okay? I'm like, oh, the magazine, the website, we'll be fine. We'll be, you know, we've got stuff we had from 40, 30 years we haven't talked about yet. We'll be fine. And then, you know, within a few months, um, the fa the uh, decipher company had a really bad embezzlement process and and it blew up and so the perfect that was a whole sidebar thing but the but, but I just remember everybody being depressed and then there was a little bit of lightheartedness the way they did the last shows you know demons and terror prime and I, one thing I wanted to do that I'd never done I'd always meant to I said I would love to be a tellerite and now they're doing tellerites right I'll wear a pillow I'll wear a pillow. I know I had more weight then, but I'll wear a pillow. I'll, I, can, I can do this all day. I can walk around with my nose in the air all day. Come on, Larry. If, uh, if Tom Hanks can lose a bunch of weight for uh, his Stranded movie, you can put on a bunch of weight if you really want to be a tellerite. I don't think I was going to get paid the money that Tom <laughs> Hanks got paid for. But it would, I would pay for a really expensive pillow myself. I will do that. I'll do that. I'll get a very fine pillow. <laughs> But I missed out on the on the uh, Coalition of Planets scene. I was talking to, to Dave Trotty, who was the first AD, and he's like, oh, we just, he had, there are, I don't know if you knew this, remember when Pink Five was the hot early days fan film thing of in Star Wars fandom? Yes. Girl, okay, so here's the total, the Pink Five girl and one of her co-stars are aliens in the Coalition of Planet thing. I did not know that. Yes, they are. I've got a picture somewhere of just them. It's in the, but they, again, the digital cameras, there are so many cool joke and behind the scenes pictures from the last, especially the last two, two, three years. Uh, um, um, what's his name that led the show? Uh, Captain Archer. Scott Bakula. I want to say Steve. Scott, I can't want to say Steve. Steve That's Bakula. Right, Larry. Steve, Steve, Steve Bakula, Steve his Backman. twin sister. Yeah. Steve Backman. Steve Backman. No, Scott his twin had started sister. this. That's great. Scott had, for for employee morale had started having an employee of the week. So every week they stopped at lunch and had an employee of the week thing. And somebody in some department, you know, in their department head gave them an award. And they had more parties and they did gags on people. And when it was some pe like they did this huge thing with Jolene Blaylock had a thing about Mr. Pooh on on um, on uh, uh, Mr. Hanky the Christmas um, Pooh. Yeah, Mr. Hank. South Park, movie. yeah. On South Park. And uh, they had a, they were everybody, anyway. They did Halloween, they did masquerade contests for the crew at Halloween. I mean, they did all this in-house employee stuff and every week. And um, there's tons of pictures of that stuff out there. And every year the ADs did a crew disc. They had tons. and Anyway, it was just such a different, it's really so sad that, that this was the show. I mean, you had that vibe and everything, but it was just, it was like a maturation 
inside for the in-house crew mm-hmm. that 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 just hit this maximum point and it was just so sad that it, that it all went away so so uh anyway i was trying to get to be a tellerite and uh dave said i just we've just filled up all the people to be tellerites and all the aliens in the last two shows but we're working on something where there's going to be a scene in the finale you know, you wouldn't be a Tellarite, but maybe we could get you into that. I said, I bet I can get you into that. And I'm like, okay, fine. Because for years and years and years, I mean, Ira was mad at me that I didn't do a cameo in the sit-down in Vix the last day of DS9. Mm-hmm. I was there all day, <laughs> but I didn't do a, you know. So I never I never abused that. I never tried. And there wasn't always the right vibe to do it. But, but at times, I could have asked about that and done it and, you know, done a story or something for it. And it would have been the right way. So I did this, and you know, it was in the finale, and that was all fun. And that day was, was like the last day of any show. It was bittersweet. It was like DS9s, because Voyager was kind of like, uh, okay, guys, can you all like uh, turn those costumes in, and you know, <laughs> on your way out the door, we got a new show. It's going to save the franchise coming in. Can you all like just get out the door, please? Thank you. I mean, I felt bad for you know Bob and Kate and all of them because they really felt like they were just being pushed out the door and. Just, but um, don't let screen door hit you on the butt on the way out. But um, but this was celebrated, and TNG was really the same way because they were just in a hurry to get to the movie. Mm-hmm. So of all the shows like that, DS9 and Enterprise were the two that had this celebratory end day that the producers insisted on. Only this time, it wasn't like Manny. It was Rick and, and um, Brandon. But Rick especially was feeling very sentimental because it was the end of the era, and he was like going out of his way to do stuff for folks. Now, that's also how you got these the voyages, <laughs> which the last thing they wanted to do was create the controversy about it. They were thinking 18 years, not four years of Enterprise, and people immediately saw that. And even, I remember Jonathan Marina being there, like, well, yeah, we'll do it and all that, but should, isn't this getting the way? It's their show. Shouldn't they, like, <laughs> be the stars? <laughs> they felt a little uncomfortable. I mean, they really felt uncomfortable for a lot of it, but... Um, the last day there, you know, Majel did her thing and came down with Rod and said thank you to the cast and all that and all that stuff. And getting to be part of that was amazing. And it was a last day. And Dan Curry will very famously say that it wasn't the t- technically the last day because it did some B unit. And the last shot shot for Star Trek Burma era was the candle insert from that episode. I think it was, I don't know, something happening with the candle. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and then watching one by one, everybody filmed their last stuff. And when Scott and, and Connor did their last scene, to get, I mean, the last scene was literally Scott and and uh, jo, was Jolene was Jolene and, and Billingsley, the three of them, and the, at the scene before he does his speech, and he's wearing his dress. It's like wow, they finally get dress uniforms, and it's the last scene of the whole damn show, and it's like going away. You'll never, no one will ever wear this uniform on a camera again. It was like, I mean, it was just a day of ridiculous ironies. It was just, it was, you know, bittersweet and sweet. But it was, you know, and that was early May. And then over the next few weeks, I remember seeing them, you know, tear the sets down. And I've got pictures of the sets loaded on flatbed trucks to go away because no one knew what the hell was going to happen with anything yet. Everything was so up in the air. The studio was changing hands and the Viacom divorce was happening. And it was just so, it was just like, this is just a, you know, a tectonic, change and and it was all right well i'll take a breath i'll take, take a breath, breath. Take Sorry, a breath. No, don't apologize do not apologize for we knowing so much about this we love it. 
we want it. We yeah. want this. Um, I'm just going to say right here, I, I've said this before on another podcast, Scott Bakula, would you please come to Salt Lake Comic Con? Please, <laughs> please, please, pretty please, come to Utah. We will show don't you send Steve. Love. No, not. Make I don't sure, want no Steve make Backman. Make sure they hire Scott. No yeah. Steve Backman. I want me some Scott Bakula, big time. And many, 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 oh. many people would agree. Anyway, so... So to kind of wrap up this whole story with that final episode called These Are the Voyages, do you feel like there is a better way that they could have told this story to, I don't know, keep the fans from so vehemently hating it? <laughs> well, the hate comes. It's like I, I will often say, yes, I finally was an extra in a show. It was the last show. Don't, don't let me tell you what it was. <laughs> What was it? The finale of Enterprise. But it was the good part. It was the good part. It was the Coalition of Planets speech with all the guest extras in there that was cool. Oh, okay. You know, I was in the stupid part where it was so obvious because, like, when 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 Mike and Gar and Judy and and uh, and what's that guy Manny? When all of them were writing shows, it's like we had. It wasn't just you know like the the aliens all had names and their race was named, but it was like we're using Tellarites, and I want real Tellarites, you know. They would take the time to do that. And it was so funny to get that last... It was like, oh, go back to Rick and Brandon time where, you know, like like grimy alien and, you know, polka dot blue skin. Like, no species names, no names, just random pull out some new makeup and stick them on. I mean, like, you know, it was like... And they got, you know, Jeff and Shran were in that last time, and that was nice. But it was it just read like uh, oh look it's three aliens who we don't know where they're coming from and we have no idea you know what their deal is and they don't even, they don't even have names so they will forever be these poor guest actors will never be able to know what their name was until somebody working on a collectible card game or something gives them a name and they go oh my name was so and so on the card you know Daryl I mean? and his other brother Daryl <laughs> it Always was Darryl's. not 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 Larry it was just yeah. Daryl and his other brother Darryl. yeah I have a real brother Daryl but <laughs> Uh, I had a real uncle, Daryl. But my other brother's name was Gary, not Daryl. Um, yeah. Um, saying that I was, you know, having to be that it was the finale. But the, but parts of that show were a lot of fun and were good. And him doing the speech and the sh- and the scene with he and uh, Jolene. I mean, Killing Trip was ridiculous. And, Thank you. you know, and they retconned it in the books. <laughs> it was just like, What? Now's the fine time, you know, the whole, by then you were starting to have the meme about no one ever dies. And so, you know, Enterprise, now you guys know this, Enterprise, it became a thing that no one, none of the, never had a red shirt or anyone that died. It be, they, they were going to have, what's his name, the Russian in the cave die on the second episode. And they liked him so much, they were like, well, let's keep him around, let's not kill him. And then after that, it just became this bigger and bigger elephant, you know, the years would go by and somebody would do a draft story where somebody died and they're like... Do we really want to have our first person die, be that guy in that situation? And then we're like, no. Nah. And then it became, but the more they did that, it just became a, a thing, a thing, and a thing. And so finally, the Zindi year, it was kind of like, hey, time to kill people, you know? And they finally did. But Episode and, two. Know, it's the Zindi year. <laughs> that's, that's called, you can tell it's so revved up. People are dying. I mean, you know. Yeah, nobody's safe. Here come the ratings. People are dying. But didn't happen. I, yeah, I, f- I feel almost like, this is only a personal opinion, I feel almost like somebody made sure that we never actually saw Tripp's body so that we could have that plausible deniability and resurrect him at another time because that was just so... I don't know anyone who liked that. 
He's so, going to show up in the uh, in the spore drive with Kelber. There you go. <laughs> Connor Trenier is great. I love that guy. Get him on. Get him on Discovery. <clears throat> Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Trips spore pod remains have been floating through the galaxy for 100 years and yeah until they land on tilly's shoulder <laughs> i am on board <laughs> best one best one i've heard no so manny would talk about the finale and he was like you know i i got to play so he didn't have his 20 he wound up with 19. Right, right. <laughs> but he'll say you know i got to do i got to fix the show quote unquote and give people what they thought they were going to get from day one it's just the irony that, you know, the shows everybody enjoyed, the, the episodes that people enjoyed the most are the ones that, you know, got the show canceled, which it didn't. The writing was on the, you know, it was in the, it was in the mix way before that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. he will always say that to him, the shots of, the final shots of, um, uh, uh, was it Demons and Terra Prime or Terra Prime and Demons? It's, it's Demons, Demons and Terra Prime. Yeah. Yeah. Demons yeah. and Terra Prime. Um, Terra Prime is part two. Yeah. That the final shot of them on the stairwell, which that's all the Paramount Theater lobby, yeah. by the way, if you know that. Um, them on the stairs as they pan over everybody, and they have the group shot of the crew. It's like that's their hero final shot moment. He says, to me, the the real finale of of Enterprise is really Terra Prime. Yeah. A lot of people feel Because that you way. see them, yeah. they've accomplished that, yeah. I mean, people, yeah, it's, you can't help it, when you're, especially when you're watching an order. But the fact that they've... They didn't get to the Federation, but they got the Coalition of Planets, and we've got, you know, it started. You know what? In the Babel arc, and I forget which show it is. Maybe it's United. But that's that that moment when the Vulcan, the Human, the Tellarite, and the Andorian are all shaking hands. It's like I don't. You say what you will about ratings. It's like that was just such a. That was just such a you know wet your eye Star Trek yeah. moment. Yeah. You know, it's it's right up there with with First Contact and the Vulcan coming out the first mm -hmm. time. It was just, it was, that's that's what they were aiming for, and that's totally what, you know, what delivered. And the Tellarites finally got ships. I prefer when the Vulcan came out in these, <laughs> in, uh, in Amir Darkly. And every first contact date, I always point, uh, I post that image, and I say, raid their ship, take whatever you can. Happy first contact date. <laughs> I've seen you post that. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Yep. I remember that. Well, who knows? There's times when I feel like we're in the universe, in that alternate universe right now, so... <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be real curious to see what happens in not 50 years now. What are we down to? 46 mm -hmm. years? Yeah. Larry, thank yeah. you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time. We know you're so busy, and you got your own podcast. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and tell everybody about the Trek Files with an F. Trek oh, Files with an F. Yes. Oh, is that because... See, I started doing that, and I wonder if that's going to become my thing. I was trying to find a catchphrase. <laughs> yeah. Trekophiles with an F. Yeah, so the Trek Files is on Roddenberry's uh, mm -hmm. network, but um, John Champion's kind of the, the uh, director for that. Um, we work together on it and get the guests, but it's on the Trek FM mm -hmm. feed, like Mission Log is. So, uh, yeah, if you're, if, if, um, you're ready to do the deep dive, <laughs> if you're of a Trekland mindset, uh, we, we pull pieces of paper out of Gene's, and they're literally pieces of paper out of Gene's mm -hmm. files, some mostly things that have not gone to the UCLA archives, uh, big and little, everything from letters from fans to huge memos and story drafts, mm -hmm. all from hit. You know, he died in '91, so we have the '60s, the '70s, and the '80s. We have original series through their fallow times, through you know, get a movie already, to um, to the movie era, and oh, I'm not running things days, and uh, Harv is to six, and then the comeback for Next Generation. 
uh, and the first few years of next generation. And so that's all a lot of rich stuff to mine and uh, and doing it in 15 minutes, which I know after this hour, once again, people are amazed. But <laughs> John holds me to it, even if he's not my yes. guest. And uh, and having and having Dorothy Fontana in to talk yes. about it and uh, so great. Um, yeah, and uh, Doug Drexler's going to be a guest coming nice. up, and I just we just started to tap the well. Oh, Dave Rossi. Yeah, he's been on. I tried for Dave Rossi, but I couldn't get so him, so I had to sell He was too busy yeah. on our show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I was going down the list. I went for Dave Rossi, and then I went for Steve Blackman, Backman, <laughs> and then I finally had to settle for Dave. <laughs> But uh, well, I, Larry, if you can find it, we don't, don't want to talk about it now. But if you can find it, I have a special request for the Trek files. I'd love to see if you could dig something up okay. on Silicon of Attar. Uh, you know, because I, if I know, right. I think Roddenberry was not a fan of that episode and what happened with that episode and how it ended up. So um, if you could dig something up on that, I'd love to hear something. Okay, so. that was early fourth fifth, season. Early right? fifth, right? That would be right fifth. before. He oh died. well, see, he was yeah. he was out yeah. of it by then, so he probably didn't have any active. Yeah, he'd he'd been having his mini strokes okay. since the spring and summer, so he probably didn't actively. Okay. But I'll, but we'll Let's see. see. There's some other things like that that I want to see if we can find a, a paper on, and I just want to mention real quick, guys. Uh, the Trek Files is awesome, but um, Portal Forty Seven. I'm about to have a public open house, where if you come over to LarryNimitzcheck.com, uh, do a click and just sign on and get a virtual seat. I'm going to have Mike Westmore. Be my open house guest May sixteenth, which is a Wednesday night from seven. So that's to 8 twelve Pacific. days from when this episode airs. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. So people, yeah, and it's it's unlimited. It's virtual. Okay. So as you hear this, just come over to LarryNewcheck.com. It's right there at the front of the top of the homepage, and click in and reserve your seat and get the info about how to get on. And you can even pre-submit questions ahead of time. Awesome. So um, so I'm very excited about Excellent. that. Right on. And where can people follow you on social media? Uh, at Larry Nimichek on Twitter and YouTube, and then Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and Instagram. Right on. And and everything about Trek Files is on the Facebook at the Trek Files. You can subscribe at Roddenberry Podcasts or um, podcast.roddenberry.com or the Trek FM Master Feed. Uh, otherwise, you can take you can pick them off every week with the document. The other thing about that is the document is there every week, so you can read along with us. Right on. Well, talking about Steve Backman is not the only thing we're discussing here on the network this week. So please take a listen to this clip and see what else you may have missed elsewhere on Track F. Um. Previously on Trek.fm, Warp 5. I guess I'm going to be the one dissenter because I saw major differences, maybe not in the way it was shot, but in the storylines. And I just thought, yeah, it's Klingon court, and that's pretty much where the similarities ended for me. The 602 Club. And I really love, before they go to the tension, their principal, Bentley, saying, you know, you get one life, and you get to decide how you're going to spend it. And on top of that, Bravestone says um, to Finbar, he says, you know, it's a lot easier to be brave when you've got lives to spare. It's a lot harder when you only have one life. And Finbar's like, you've only ever had one life. The orb. I felt like they found a reason for why Cisco would say, okay, I'll stay. Otherwise, you know, he immediately, at the beginning, was like, uh, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to get involved. Send me back to my universe. This is not my place. Earl Grey. 
Wesley and Petru pass by Worf's quarters where they hear screams coming from within. They find Worf is being beaten by Jordy, Tasha, and Data. <laughs> There's more. Petru moves in to help, but Wesley stops him. He explains that this moment of humiliation is one celebrated by Klingons. <laughs> okay. So, and, and the script goes on to explain that Worf tearfully thanks Jordi, Tasha, and Data because being humiliated by friends makes it, quote, the finest humiliation he'd ever experienced. <laughs> okay, I almost believe that, except the part that says Worf in tears. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join, join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user... Be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app, and get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 files from our website or grab the RSS link. My darling boomers, we would love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are so many ways you can do that. The best place, of course, to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just go to the search field and type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, uh, on Facebook, and it should be like one of the first one or two results. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5. That will come directly to us. And you can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, uh, Patrick, when you're not sniggering at mistakenly calling Scott Bakula Steve Backman, where can people find you? Well, when, I, when I'm not messing up Scott Bakula as his twin sister, you can find me <laughs> hanging out in the Babel Conference from time to time. I pop in there. I don't always respond to things that I see, but uh, I do read a lot of it. And if you ask me a direct question, I, I will probably answer you. You can also find me on Twitter at MagicDrop5. That's one word. The five is a number. And that's about it. Pay attention to my feeds, and you may see I'll be popping up somewhere new very shortly. Ooh, juicy danglers. Yes. And, Brandon, when you're not hiding from us with your kids, never mind. So, Brandy, <laughs> when you're not trying to figure out how to re rewrite the last episode so people don't vehemently hate it, where can people find you? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Brandywine12. Brandy with an I, 12 is the number. You can find me lurking in the Babel Conference from time to time, although my time is so limited these days right now. And uh, also, I do a podcast with my sweet husband, Dave, called The Dark Corner Podcast, which you can find on strangeanddeadly.com, or you can pick up anywhere that uh, podcasts are uh, purveyed, <laughs> and uh, we talk about whatever we want, but mostly pop culture from sort of a darker point of view, and there is swearing, so don't let kids listen. And uh, so that's where you can find me. And if all of you or any of you would like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each and every week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm. 
get those consonants in there to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. And it's all available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, and we really appreciate any support you can give us. We hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. At this time, we'd like to thank our producers, Norman C. Lau, Floyd Dorsey, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, Justin Oster, Mark Flesher, and Joe Saltzman. Thank you for supporting Warp 5 and Trek FM Network. Well, that's all we have for you this week, so keep calm and boom on. I am not fit to run loose. Yeah, I hope they didn't get attacked by Romulans. I don't think so. I hope not. If we were anywhere near the Romulan Star Empire, they're screwed. (laughs) I'm just kidding.